morning. Those of you who are uh, joining us for the first time, either in person or online, I want to welcome you. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. It truly is a joy. I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this uh, this coming weekend uh, for a day for good. It's been, um, there's just a lot going on, I'm telling you, and, and, and uh I think that hopefully you're getting to see glimmers and pieces of, glimpses of the things that God is doing in our community. I tell you that over the last couple of months now, the conversations that I've been having with people in our community and the way that God is moving and cultivating things together just reminds me that God is still on the move, and that is good news, amen, because we live in a time and a place where sometimes it feels like uh, you know, what's, what's happening? I mean, you don't have to look too far, right, uh, to see like, ooh, you know, this, this, things aren't looking too good, right? Uh, and, and so as we, as we look to the future, sometimes it can feel bleak. It can feel uncertain. Uh, it can feel shaky. And, and it's good to see that, man, God is, in the, uh, is on the move here and that we get to be a part of that. And I hope you're as excited about that as I am. Um, and that's a part of the reason why we wanted to do this series called Immeasurably More, because I think there is something that Satan tries to do in each one of us, uh, and it could be in your in, in your marriage, with your kids, uh, with your finances. It could be in your own spiritual life or looking at church or looking at the global church uh, to, to have a scarcity mindset. Uh, and I'm not talking about kind of this idea of, you know, uh, God wants you to, to be uh, independently wealthy and have no problems. And I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way that Satan convinces us uh, oftentimes that that God is not enough, and that he, whatever problems are going on, he, he can't handle those things. And so over the last couple of weeks together, we've been walking through a prayer. Uh, if you remember, if you were here for this, we talked about a prayer that, that Paul prayed as he wrote to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And this prayer really was about how he was hoping this group of Christians could, could grasp some of the character of who God is. And if you remember, the, the, what he pointed out was three things. Things, uh, that they could grasp how loving God is or how, how big, uh, how vast he loves, how powerful he is, and how generous he is. And those things can be hard for us in different seasons of life to feel, right? When you're walking through difficult times, it sometimes doesn't feel like God is very loving or feel like God is very powerful or feel like God is very generous, and so early on in this series, we talked about this new word. It was a new word for some of you. Some of you had heard that before, uh, the word dianu. It's a Hebrew word. And the word really means it, it would have been enough or it would have been sufficient um, for whatever it was. But God did more. And this is important for us. It's important for us if we want to live what what Jesus says is life to the abundant. That's what he came for, remember? He said, I didn't just come to give you life. That would have been enough. Die anew. But I came to give you life abundantly. This is huge. 
So how do we get to this abundant life is that a part of us is saying, we have to realize that right now, where we are, we're living in abundance. And I know that feels awkward to say for various reasons, because all of us are in a stage of life or a season of life or a place in our life where it's like, well, it could be better here. You know, I, I, I wish we were doing a little bit better in this section of life. But the truth is, is that we're already living in abundance and truly what abundant living is, is recognizing the things that God has given us and then pouring that out into others. Abundant life is truly focused on what you can give away. Last week we talked about this idea of, of really what, what the epitome of following Christ is. What does that look like? And we said this, that, that our biggest prayer, our greatest joy, our most significant mission should be to help others find transforming relationship with God. There should be an amen there. <laughs> Let me try that one more time. You know, we're like, hmm? Uh, I didn't lose you already, did I? Here we go. Our biggest prayer, our greatest joy, our most significant mission should be to help others find a transforming relationship with God. Amen. Do you believe that, church? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we replace that with anything else, our mission's off. If we replace that with anything else, our mission is off. And so we have to constantly reset to say, all right, what is our mission? What is my mission as a Christian? What am I supposed to be doing each day? What's, what should bring me the biggest joy in life is helping somebody else find the relationship with God that I find. And, and through that process, reestablishing my relationship with God. That should be, bring me the greatest joy. That should be my biggest mission. That should be the thing that I'm praying the most about is helping other people find this relationship with God that I have found as well. And so last week, I, I urged you, I encouraged you, I tried to motivate you. Some of you, you know, afterwards you were like, I don't, I don't particularly like you very much. I didn't realize that there was a 7 a.m. on alarm clock. But I urged you to set your timer every Monday, not every day of the week, every Monday at 7 a.m., and I encouraged you to pray for three things. Remember those three things? The first one is this, God, give me a heart for those that don't know you, because it's easy to lose that, isn't it? I'm just going to be honest. There's been times in my life where it's just easy to lose that. You get skeptical, you get cynical, right? You, you get jaded towards things. And so, God, would you just give me a heart for people who don't know you yet? Number two, God, give me the courage to share my story. Because here's the truth. We all have a story. We all have a story. There's a part of you that wasn't aligned with God at some point in time, and then something happened, and he had to realign that, and that's your story. That's your testimony. And for some of you, that, that took a little less time than others of us. It took a whole lot more time. God had to do a whole lot more work on a few of us in this room than others, and that's okay. But we all have a testimony. And so we pray that God would give us the courage to share our story about him, and number three, that God would open our eyes to the person that God is putting in our path. And we looked at this story uh, of Stephen, who is a martyr, and as they're, as they're killing him, he prays that God would receive his spirit and, which is really unbelievable, 
He prayed that, that this sin of, of killing him wouldn't be held against the people who were doing it, which seems like a, a fantastic prayer. But what we're talking about is that God does immeasurably more. And in the scripture, what's interesting is, as Stephen is saying this, uh, it's recorded that, that the guy named Saul is standing there and he's approving of it and he's holding the coats of the people who are stoning Stephen to death. And just a few, uh, just a, a chapter and a half later, we read that Saul has an encounter with Jesus. It turns his life around and then Saul becomes a missionary planting churches all over the place. And oh, by the way, Saul is who we oftentimes, we're reading his words as we read through most of the New Testament. It seems like God can still do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so I had a few people this week, they said, all right, listen, I, I, get, I get the whole praying for that, but why, why 7 a.m. <laughs> on Monday morning? And I'm not going to say that question was from my wife, but it might have been. Uh, and I appreciated that because maybe I didn't make this clear. Maybe I didn't make this clear. See, I think it matters what you do first. God calls us to give him our first fruits. And I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm a morning person, so some of you are naturally irritated by me. I get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the church said, right, um, <laughs> there's something even to me, those of us who are morning people, and if you're not, it's, it's okay. There's something about giving God the first part of your day. I'm just convinced. It sets a tone for what happens later. And so setting that time on a Monday morning when you, all right, listen, here's the thing. Some of you are, are, are scheduling that at like a different time zone. That's okay. It's permissible. So if you've found another time zone that's actually like 10 o'clock, whatever. Okay, but there's something, there's something about setting your day with God. About the thing that we just said, listen, this is paramount. This is, this is, this is mission one. He said, all right, listen, God, before I do anything else, I'm even before I pour my cup of coffee, which sounds crazy, God, I need you to start everything for me. Because when I start it for myself, it goes haywire. See, it sets the tone for everything else. And that's why I want to start today's message with you. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 28. And if you have been in church circles for a long time, especially and uh, maybe Church of Christ circles, you know these verses, the verses that we're going to talk about today, you know them like the back of your hand, but we're going to look at them in a completely different way uh, than maybe you've heard them before. Matthew chapter 28, uh, here's, here's setting the stage for you a little bit in case you don't know anything about where Matthew is in the Bible, you don't know the story. Jesus come to earth, God's son. He teaches how to live, to, to uh, have a relationship with God. He's crucified. He dies. He uh, raises to life again. And then he spends 40 days with people. As he, as he says, listen, I, I pointed you to the, to the Father, but I'm going to leave. And when I leave you, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. 
And, and it's your job, we're going to read, to, to, to get this message out. That's what happens. So he's at this point, toward the end of Matthew, uh, he's, he's been resurrected from the dead. He spent time with those who know him and spent time with him uh, in his earthly ministry. And then they gather up together. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. This is Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. This is what it says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Remember, Judas is no longer in the picture. To the mount where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And those of you who've been around Wellhouse long enough now know that I love that scripture because it counts you and me in. Because if we're honest, sometimes we have our doubts, don't we? But here is Jesus who has 11 followers at this point. 11. And some of them are doubting. And here's what happens next. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And go. And they're like, well... That'd be great, but I still have some questions. <laughs> That'd be great, but I'm, I'm st there's still some things wrestling. And I don't know about you, but I've thought a lot, a lot about this verse. Why did some of them doubt? I don't know about you, but I think, man, if I could see a resurrected Jesus, if I saw him nailed to a cross, and then I got to put my fingers where the nail scars are, and then I see him living, I have no more doubts. Why did they doubt? What did they have to doubt about? I think it was likely the circumstances that surrounded them. I think they fully believed in Jesus. And I think if they could have stayed on the mountain and been like, all right, it could just be us 12. All right, we kicked Judas out. He was the bad egg. We figured that out after a time. But now it's just us. And it just has to be us. And if it just stays us, that would be great. And we don't have to let anybody else in. And this would be wonderful. But Jesus, you don't understand. Everybody else hates us. In fact, they killed you. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this or not, but they killed you. And they're likely going to kill us too. So why don't we just stay right here? This feels good. I think it's the same problem that Peter had, right? Do you remember when he was on the boat and he took, he you know, he says, all right, Jesus, if it's you, call me out to you. And Jesus is like, come on out, Peter. Peter takes the step out and he begins walking on the water and all is good until Peter realizes, oh, there's more than just Jesus out here. There's winds and there's waves and there's craziness and all those things begin to make Peter sink. See, I think the doubts for them look like, what does this ministry now look like without Jesus here? And who's going to believe in me anyway? 
And what difference can us 11 uneducated people who still struggle with doubt, what difference can we really make in the world? We have no money, we have no influence, we have no draw, we have no catch. See, Jesus, I'm good with you. But in this world, I feel insignificant. In this world, I seem to matter zero. In this world, I am highly outnumbered. Fast forward 10 days. Fast forward 10 days. They're standing on the mountain. Jesus says, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go. What does he call them? What does he tell them to do? Go and make what is a disciple. It's a follower. Go and make disciples. Yikes. Okay. With people who hate us and want to kill us? Cool. Ten days later, all they've done is add one more person <laughs> to which they have to be thinking at that point, well, that was pretty good. You know, like we at least got one more person to join our ranks. Acts chapter 2, are you ready? Ten, ten days later. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We're going to read a long section of scripture, okay? Hang with me. Then Peter, same Peter who steps out of the boat, same Peter who lops off an ear, same Peter who gets himself in all kinds of trouble. He stood up with the eleven, at which point in time you're thinking the rest of them were like, oh boy, here we go. And he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. And everybody's listening. He has their attention. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. What? Peter, you're not starting off strong. It's only nine in the morning. Meaning, if you would have asked us later on, I might have said a few of them might have been. But it's nine in the morning. Nobody's drunk yet. Okay, Peter, not the greatest start to a sermon I've ever heard, but keep going. No, this is what was spoke to you by a prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him. As you now yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by uh, deliberate pl uh, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me 
Because he's at my right hand, I won't be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made uh, known to me the path of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you this confidently, that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne And seeing what was to come, he spoke to a resurrection of the Messiah, that he was the one, uh, he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven And yet said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I'll make you an enemy at a footstool of your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know about you. I mean, maybe you read those words from Peter, his message, and you're like, best sermon ever. Or you're reading some of those things, you're like, there's some odd stuff in there. There's some things that don't make sense. It's weird that you would start a message by saying, we're not drunk, listen to this. Yet, somehow, maybe in a way that's immeasurably more, God does something that not even the disciples were expecting. You imagine sitting around and all of a sudden there's 3,000 people who are like, I need to know more. I got to know more. See, here's the crazy, I want you to think about how crazy this is, all right? 51 days before this, 51, not not 10 years, not two years, not six months, 51 days before this event, there were zero, zero, zero Christians, not one. In fact, it said everybody deserted him. The closest followers of Jesus said, I'm out. If this is the way it ends, I thought it was going to end differently. I didn't realize he was going to die, and we thought he was going to be king, but apparently he's not going to be king, and so we're done. Zero. 51 days later, 
3,000 people said, you know what? I may not understand everything. I may not get it. I may not be living a perfect life, but I need more of that in me. I want more of that in my life. Listen to this. Verse 42. So what did they do? What this group of people who, who now is trying to figure this out, it's 3,000 people who are saying, all right, listen, I believe you. I believe Jesus was the one who has come. What do we do now? They devoted, underline, highlight, circle, think about that word. Remember last week we talked about the thing you're devoted to, you'll sacrifice for. Watch what they sacrifice for. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is good, but it's intentional good, right? And sometimes we get together, it's like, yeah, we all ate, you know, cake. Well, that's good. Um, I don't know, that's always fellowship, all right? It's intentional. It's intentional good. It's intentional time together. They have owned themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed uh, by the apostles, and all the believers were together and they had everything in common. You're like, man, this sounds like some kind of weird, you know, cult. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And check this out. And the Lord added to their number daily to those who are being saved. Because what is our ultimate goal? What is it? Come on. Yeah, our ultimate goal was when Jesus said, hey, listen, all authority in heaven, you don't have to get it perfect. You don't have to be the right church. You don't have to know everything there is to know. In fact, you can have doubts, but the one thing that you have to do, the one assignment I'm giving you is to share me with other people. So my question is, why don't we see that today? Can I step on our toes just for a minute? Is that okay? Why don't we see that today? And I know a, a great theological argument is, well, you know, listen, hey, Steve, that was the disciples, and look what they were, they were doing, miracles. Can you do a miracle? So if you can't do a miracle, bro, then we're out I could do a magic, I mean, like, and they're like, hey, you know, like, um, <laughs> linking rings, they're together, now they're not, you know. Um, but folks, that argument is bunk. And here's why. Because you null and void a God who is immeasurably more with that argument See, it wasn't the miracles. <laughs> it wasn't, the, hu it wasn't the, the things that they, the, the human side of them. It was God who was doing everything. And they were saying, listen, I'm all on board. If what you want me to do is make disciples, then that's what I'm doing. And they were all on board and God was doing immeasurably more through them. See, I think sometimes we don't see that today because we're tempted to convert people to a denomination or a church than to Jesus. We're tempted to bring people to a minister or to a pastor than to Jesus. 
we're tempted to bring people to a show or a museum than Jesus. Or we simply just don't engage or ask anymore. Because maybe we live too much in the doubt, in a scarcity mindset. I recently read a... Um, an article by uh, the Barna Group. Some of you may be familiar with the Barna Group, and it said this, that only 2% of Christians actively engage others in a spiritual conversation, those who don't have any faith. And this is the top reasons why. Number one, I don't know how. Number two, I'm afraid I'll be rejected. Number three, the music isn't that good. Sorry, Chris. That's all right, I'm right behind you. Number four, the preaching isn't strong. Mm. Oh, what do you do with that? All right. Um, five, too many church problems right now. We can't bring people into a broken place. Church is too crowded. I like my, my circle smaller. And last, it's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. <laughs> Curious how you think the Holy Spirit works. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, Wellhouse, can I talk? If you're a visitor, you get an insider thing today. And I'm sorry if this is weird for you. I'd love to do coffee and talk about how it's not so weird. But if you're a Wellhouse partner... The vision of this church starts with this, and I'm telling you, if we get this wrong, one degree, man, it's off by a mile later. And so I want to drill down into this as deeply and as permanently as I possibly can. Our vision is to change the landscape of our community we must be devoted to transforming others' relationships with God. That's it. And I know that sounds old school, and I know I wish it could be flashier for you. Like, oh, you know, like, I thought you were going to come up with something really cool, and we have some really cool things that we want to share with you. But I'm telling you, it's not the cool things that we want to have people devote themselves to. It's not, that's not the thing that wins people over. It's not the thing that changes people's lives. It's just not. And so I need you to know this, that if you're a partner here, this is not an invitation to attend. It's an invitation to participate. We, the church doesn't come to attend church. The church is the church where we go and we impact the community we're in. And it started from day one with those who had serious doubts from those who didn't want to leave the mountainside, from those who thought, man, we're not good enough. We can't do this. The job's too big. If you could change the culture to have them more accepting of us, if you would give us more resources, if you would give us more time, if you would give us a better, a better venue, whatever it is, and Jesus no, 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 you got me and I am immeasurably more than what you could ask or imagine. See, here's what I know, and I told you this already a couple of times before, 42% of our uh, community around us, that's 17,162 people, have zero religious affiliation, zero. 
That's almost double the national average. Barna Group, I mentioned this before, they say that about 27% of an unchurched population has never been invited to church ever. If you take that number, 17,126, and you take 27%, that's 4,624. I'm still pretty good at math, but don't challenge me much more than that. And I wondered, church, what it would look like if God did immeasurably more with you and I. And I wonder if we took that, that role seriously and we, and we thought like, all right, I have an empty chair that's by me and I'm praying, God, have, just give me a heart for the people who don't know you and give me an opportunity to share my story with somebody and, and open-mize the person in my path so that I can help them not convert to a denomination or a church or find a pastor, but I can help them have a growing relationship with you the way that I have a growing relationship with you. What would it look like for us to help 4,624 people find Jesus? Not a church, not a pastor, but Jesus. Could you imagine that? See, I don't know about you, but I drive, I've spent my time the last year and a half driving through parts of, of our community, and some of it is sad. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's tons of like just... You see poverty and homelessness and depravity and heartache. And I think to myself, what would it take to change a community? Well, you change individual lives. Well, how do you change individual lives? Well, I can throw out a lot of real quick, easy answers, but I'm telling you the only thing I've ever seen change a life is Jesus. That's it. See, in order to change a community, you have to help people change. And the only way to truly change people is through Jesus. See, some of you have tried, you've tried to change your spouse. <laughs> and it almost caused a drinking problem, right? <laughs> some of you have tried to change your kids. And now they don't talk to you anymore. Some of you have tried to change a coworker and it never really worked, did it? Because the only thing that truly changes us is Jesus. So here's what I want to do today as we close out. Play along with me just for a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about the three questions that we asked you to pray about earlier and that you're going to be praying about over the next 12 months. And I want you to think about a person that God is putting in your life or maybe that, that God would put somebody in your mind, just one person who needs to know Jesus. And maybe if you're having a problem, I, I thought about this this week. Sometimes it's somebody who you know things are just not going well. They're just struggling. 
with their spouse or with their children or financially or with their health or it just seems like one hit after the other. And maybe it's time for somebody to come alongside of them and you've been resistant to that because it's like, oof, that's going to be a challenge. And maybe that is God opening up a door that somebody can know him more through you. And maybe that's one of the 4,624. Or maybe it's somebody who's not prepared for a current situation. They're getting ready to be married or they're getting ready to have a baby or they're getting ready for a new job. They're just starting off in a new community and they don't know. They, they don't even know what they don't know. And they need somebody to come alongside of them. Maybe it's somebody who's just not plugged in anywhere. They used to go at one point in time they did then church hurt happened or life got busy just kind of walked away and now things have gotten difficult whatever it is that allow that person to kind of sit in your thought for a minute and then I want you to ask yourself this question and only only you can answer it Will I be devoted to what God has called me to from the start? To go and make disciples. That Will that be my biggest joy, my biggest prayer? The thing I look forward to the most is helping other people find this, this joy in Christ, this peace in Christ that I found. And maybe... Here, here it is. Maybe you haven't found it yet. And so my prayer for you is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you. Oh. And give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you Thanks be to our only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless, merciful, who is supreme and oh so sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?